Well, this morning, I would like to have you turn to Genesis chapter 41. And um, we are going to conclude the chapter now. As we continue on in our study of the life of Joseph, the son of Jacob, the son of Israel. In just a short amount of time, we have seen God do so much in 13 years of Joseph's life. From the time he was 17 till the time he's 30, as we see in verse 46 in just a moment. Through what some would consider to be a tremendous uh, trial from beginning to end of those 17 years. Beginning with the fact that Joseph was hated by his brothers and nearly killed by them. Saved only by the fact that a couple of his brothers said, look, let's not kill him, let's sell him. But whether they had killed him or not, they still reported to the father, to Jacob, and said, he's gone, he's dead. But he was very much alive. And because of God's presence with him, out of the pit that they, they had put him in, selling him to the Ishmaelites, who eventually sold, him, sold Joseph to Potiphar in Egypt, God's hand was still moving in spite of the trials, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the pains and the afflictions that Joseph went through. But we come to find out that Joseph goes through all of these things and the Lord allows all of this because Joseph becomes for us the greatest type of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And there are many types of Jesus in the Old Testament. We're going to go through a run-through of all of those types up to this point, even though there's still nine chapters to go. But now we find Joseph in Egypt. And after having been thrown into prison for a few years, he is the only one in the land that can interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's dreams are significant to the future of Egypt and to the world. And Joseph interprets them, and because of the interpretation, Joseph is placed second in command of all of Egypt. And this is where we want to pick up in verse 46. And let's read the last section of this chapter. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through out all the land of Egypt. And now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. Let me stop and just fill in for those who may not have been with us up to this point. But the dreams of, of Pharaoh were such that he had two dreams that were actually one dream. 
And in the interpretation of the dreams, Joseph says to Pharaoh, what the dreams are about have to do with seven years of plenty, seven years of, of, of an abundance of food, but then will come seven years of famine where there will be nothing grown. So with the wisdom that God has given to Joseph to give to Pharaoh, he says there needs to be in those seven years of plenty a storing up of 20% of all that is grown in the seven years. Not only to have food enough for the Egyptians for the next seven years, but even to have food enough to sell to others of other nations who will come. This will include, by the way, the family of Joseph in Canaan, Jacob and his sons and their families. So it says, now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. In other words, in, re, in, in essence, what it's saying is that it was much more than would normally have been grown in that kind of abundance. And then he gathered, it says, so he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Azanat, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all lands. So from chapter 37 to our reading through chapter 41, we have seen Joseph as a remarkable picture and type of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Joseph was a shepherd. That's how we began to see these types. When we first are introduced to Joseph as a young man, he was a shepherd. He was loved by his father. He was sent to his brothers. But then he was hated by his brothers and yet prophesied his, his coming glory when he shared with them the dreams that God had given him. <clears throat> How similar to Jesus when Jesus, of course, who was a shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. 
He was loved by his father. He was sent to his brothers, sent to the children of Israel. Yet he was hated by his brothers. As he preached, how often did his brothers say to him that he was blaspheming? And they hated him for it. Joseph was rejected by his brothers and endured unjust punishment from his brothers, sentenced to a pit, sold for pieces of silver, handed over to Gentiles, much like Jesus would later be hated so much by his brothers that he was killed, eventually put in a tomb. But before that he was sold for pieces of silver, And handed over to the Romans. Joseph was regarded as dead to his father, but raised out of the pit. He went to Egypt just as Jesus would go to Egypt shortly after his birth. Because of the threat of Herod. And the killing of the children. Joseph was made a servant. Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Joseph was tempted severely by Potiphar's wife, but he did not sin. Jesus endured every temptation in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, but never sinning. Jesus was falsely accused as Joseph was falsely accused. Joseph made no defense. Jesus made no defense. Joseph was cast into prison... Jesus was taken to the authorities. He was numbered with sinners and criminals, as was Joseph. Joseph endured the unjust punishment from Gentiles, spending years in prison, but was associated with other criminals, two other criminals as a matter of fact, just as Jesus was with two criminals on either side of him on the cross. And by the way, as the butler was pardoned and the baker was not, so on the cross, one of the criminals was pardoned and the other was not. Joseph was a man who showed compassion. He presented a message of deliverance from prison. He wanted to be remembered. And that brings us to the table of communion today. Whereas Jesus told his disciples that whenever you do what you do with this bread and this cup, you do it in remembrance of me. He was shown, Joseph was, he was shown to have divine wisdom. Jesus had divine wisdom because he was not only the Son of God, he was God the Son. He was the Messiah. Joseph was recognized as having the Spirit of God by Pharaoh. Jesus, of course, functioned with the Spirit of God upon him. Joseph was honored among Gentiles while still despised and forgotten by his brethren. He was given a Gentile bride. Of course, we know that Jesus has the bride the church. Joseph was 30 years old when he began his life's work, so was Jesus. 
Joseph blessed the world with bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Joseph became really the only source of bread for the world. Much as Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, the only source of salvation. The world was instructed to go to him and do whatever he said to do. Man is commanded to come to Jesus. There is no salvation outside of him. And Joseph was given a name. Listen, we saw this name in in, in the Egyptian language last time, but... He was given a name that means God speaks and He lives. But when you do further examination of that name in the Egyptian language, you realize that what that name means is Savior of the world. And who is Jesus but the Savior of the world? Well, those are all the types up to this point that we have already seen, and we still have nine chapters to go. So can you imagine, there's going to be others coming. But as we study these last chapters, or I should say these last verses of chapter 41, we can continue to see Jesus, and along with seeing Him, we may may also see the church and the future of the church in Joseph's leadership and in his stewardship as the second in command of all of Egypt. In fact we see that the stewardship of his position was excellence. The stewardship of his position was excellence, and that excellence can be seen in three ways in these early verses of our text today. First of all, his stewardship is seen in his priorities. The priorities of Joseph. Secondly, his stewardship is seen in his promptness to meet those priorities and then his stewardship is seen in his perspiration of being prompt and fulfilling those priorities let's go back to verse 46 and let's look at this very quickly here it says Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh king of Egypt now I know that some of you like to take notes and mark in your Bible so if you're going to mark anything in your Bibles underline or highlight the word stood That's very important here. He stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Underline, went out. And then it says, and he went throughout all the land of Egypt. Underline, went throughout. Then in the next verse, of course, we'll just read it. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. And so he gathered up all of the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt. If you underline anything, underline, he gathered up. And then in the next phrase it says, And he laid up the food in the cities. Underline, laid up. And then it says in the next phrase, He laid up in every city the food of the fields, which surrounded them again. He laid up. And then in verse 49 it says, Joseph gathered very much grain. Underline the word gathered as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. Why are we underlining these words? Because these are the words that are describing Joseph's priorities, his promptness to fulfill those priorities, and the perspiration in fulfilling those priorities, the work that he put into those seven years of plenty. I said, underline the word stood. Well, it means there that he stood before Pharaoh. And what that means is to stand before a monarch like Pharaoh, 
meant that a person was there for the very purpose of serving the king, serving the pharaoh, serving a monarch. Joseph is there before the king saying, I am here to serve you. When Joseph was appointed to his new position, he didn't just sit around and bask in the honor and prestige of that position. But he focused on his priorities. He focused on his responsibilities. You see, a lot of times in our day and and age, we we have a lot of people that like to advance in their business and in their work or in their whatever uh, uh, career that they might have. Nothing wrong with advancing, as it were. But if we only want the titles and we don't want the responsibilities, we have a problem there. But Joseph did not just seek, respond, uh, uh, seek the titles. He, he didn't just seek the prestige that went with it. He fulfilled the responsibilities and the purpose and the priorities of those responsibilities. In other words, he was more concerned about his responsibilities than he was about privileges and honors. As Jesus said succinctly about himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come just to be acknowledged as a king or as a savior or as, a, as Lord. He came to do the work that was necessary for us. If he does not give his life, we have no life. So he came to give his life. And if we are to be those who follow after Jesus, if we are to be the ones who are every day becoming more and more like Jesus and and allowing the Holy Spirit to make us more like Christ, then we need to realize the importance of doing what we are called to do. Each and every one of us in this room that is a believer in Jesus Christ has been given gifts and talents, and blessings, not just for yourself, not just to boast. You're given those gifts and talents for the purpose of presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the purpose of supporting the, the, the lost and, and, and helping the lost and hearing the gospel, of, of helping the poor and, and feeding and, and helping others and, and supporting each other in prayer and all. I mean, there, it's, it's a task that allows us to see that we have priorities as believers. And we need to fulfill those priorities. But as for promptness, which is the second point here, as for Joseph's promptness, we are told in our text that he went out and he went throughout all the land of Egypt. He went out, he went throughout, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years, laid up the food in the cities. In other words, he didn't delay in doing his job. You see, he wasn't told, okay, well, he's the one that actually told Pharaoh, well, there's going to be seven years of plenty. But Joseph did not take for granted that because there's seven years of plenty, that he's got to wait till about the fourth or fifth year before he really ever starts doing anything. No. From the very beginning, he went out. He made sure that people were growing and that their harvests were becoming abundant in, in nature as far as all of the grain that needed to be collected. He made sure that when the time came, there was going to be grain in the storehouses that would be enough for the next seven years, not only for Egypt, but for all the countries surrounding. So in the seven good years, he was prompt in gathering up the food. 
If he had delayed, he would have put the whole nation of Egypt in peril. And we're told by the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians that Jesus came at the right moment in time. When Jesus came, if Joseph is a type of Jesus, then we need to realize that Jesus came at the right moment, at the right time, not a second too late and not a second too soon. As a matter of fact, in Galatians 4 verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of the time had come. In other words, at the exact perfect moment in all of time and in all of history, at the exact moment Jesus came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. You see, He came with a purpose. And, and, and you know, the fact of the matter is, Jesus, when He started His earthly ministry, actually only had three and a half years in fulfilling this. So Joseph had seven years. Jesus took three and a half years to do that. But there was a very significant and critical purpose. It was to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Uh, Go back one chapter in Galatians 3 and it says in verses 13 and 14, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. In other words, Again, I I want to point out the seriousness of why Jesus came. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So there had to be a promptness in the work that Joseph did for seven years and that Jesus did for three and a half years. Now, most all of us went to school at one time. And if at some given time a a teacher, a professor would say, listen, in about three months, you are going to have to have this project completed, whatever the project may be, but you're going to have to have this project completed in three months. What's the first attitude of our minds that, that when we hear that three months, oh, I got time, right? So we wait a month. We say, well, I'll start next month because I've got other things to do. I've got other classes to complete. And we wait another month. And then we say, well, you know, I can't really get into the project yet. But it's not going to be too hard because I've got two months. Then we wait again. And then we do what a lot of us did when we were in school. We crammed the night before to do this project and probably didn't do a very good job of it. And we complain because we only got a C when we could have gotten an A. But if we had done it three months before, we probably would have gotten an A. I'm telling you this because I used to be a teacher. Right, teachers? Let me see. Where are my teachers? Am I, am I, am I lying to you? No. You all know about that. But see, here's the thing. I also used to be a student, too. So I know. Right? Am I alone here? I did a project one time the night before. Thank the Lord I got that one finished, but it was not good. I had plenty of time. Kick myself for it all that, you know, for many years later. <laughs> but you understand what we're, we're talking about? Being prompt. A whole nation, actually the known world, depended upon Joseph to be prompt. And so, going back to Jesus... The antitype of Joseph, for three and a half years of his earthly ministry, every step 
of our Savior was calculated. Every step of our Savior was predetermined and not one moment was wasted on our behalf. Now think about that. Because as we come to the table of communion today, we have an opportunity to reflect upon our lives, let's say within the last month, since we go from communion to communion. We get this opportunity, you know, just to examine ourselves, to see where we are in our faith. And I think that sometimes when we take our eyes off of the Lord or we, or we go a, a path that's, that's not what God wanted us to do, when we look back at that, we say, man, how I wasted my time, how I wasted my life. Now, I'm going to encourage you right now, if that's you today, the Lord still loves you. And He has said in His Word, My mercies are new every morning. Let's start again. My mercies are new every morning and my compassions for you never fail. Come back to the Lord. Forget what is behind. We'll talk about forgetting in just a moment. Forget what is behind. But today, come back to Jesus. And then let's consider the perspiration of Joseph. Because we're told that he went, and he went, and he went throughout all the land. And he went, and he gathered, and he went, and he laid up food. And he went, and he gathered much grain. And he went, and he gathered as much grain as there was the sand of the sea, until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. I mean, we could get weary trying to keep up with Joseph's industrious energy, couldn't we? He went, and he went, and he went, and he went, and he didn't stop. What it tells us is that Joseph was not lazy. Joseph knew what his calling was. Joseph knew what his tasks were. Joseph knew what his mission was. And he sought to fulfill it without stopping. Now, he had work to do and he rolled up his sleeves and he just went to work. Now, Christians don't think that because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful thing that He has saved you. But He's also called you. He has saved you, and He's given you gifts. He has saved you, and He's given you purpose. He saved you, and He's given you a life in which you can serve Him toward others. Therefore, we need to realize that we can't sit back and think that it's somebody else's job to talk to somebody that God has given to you to talk to or for you to minister to. See? It's time for a little perspiration here. You see, I'm sure, based on the accounts of the Gospels, that at times the disciples of Jesus had a hard time keeping up with Him. Especially when He was among the people preaching to them and teaching them and, and even healing them. On one occasion, Jesus did send His disciples to a deserted place to rest after much ministry had been done. So they got on a boat on one side of the Galilee and they were moving toward another side of the Galilee. But some of the people that heard where Jesus was kind of heading, and so all the people that heard about it, they all started running over to that one place. So that by the time that the boat stopped uh, on the other side of the Galilee, the people were waiting for Jesus. And you would think that Jesus said, well, you know, uh, if you come back tomorrow or next week, uh, we'll... look at what it says in Mark 6.34. Jesus, when He came out, Speaking of the boat, 
When he came out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. So here it is. I want my, you know, I want my disciples to rest a little bit. I'll, I'll get a little rest myself. But the people were there. He's moved with compassion. And he goes directly to teaching them what they needed to know. He knew what they needed. So that's why he begins to work. Now, the disciples are saying, I thought he wanted us to rest. Okay, well, we'll just kind of do what we need to do while he's here and, and, and so on and so forth. And time went on until they said to the Lord, Listen, Jesus, you know what we need to do is we need to send these people off so that they can go buy their lunches and, and their food because they've been here a long time and they haven't eaten yet. You know what that translates to? Lord, get rid of them so we can get some rest. And do you know what Jesus said to them? He said, you feed them. You feed them. And the Lord proceeded to have them all sit in the fields surrounding that area told his disciples, go and sit them in these groups. We're told in the accounts of the gospel that there were 5,000 men, which means there were families as well. So upwards of 12,000 people probably are being sat in these fields. And the disciples said, well, what do we do? I don't know that we have all that much uh, food, I mean, uh, uh, money to buy food for these people. He says, just bring me what you got. So they found a little boy with a lunch. Little fishies. Don't think that this boy had it in a, in a lunch bag, you know, big fish. You know, he, he had little, like sardines. There's little fish. A couple of fish. A few pieces of bread. And the Lord began to distribute. He gave thanks... He began to distribute out of that which was given to him. And the disciples started to sweat. Because they started passing out food to all the people. And they went throughout all of the field giving to everybody food enough to eat from this little meal. That Jesus blessed. But you know how they, when they, they, they expended the most perspiration? It was when they gathered together after the meal was over, 12 baskets of food. What about us? Are we laboring? For the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we laboring to make sure people are fed the word of God? And are we trusting that the Lord will multiply the blessing that we give so that others can know the joy of what we have known for so long? I can tell you this. Perspiration is infectious. 
If you can go out and show that you are just loving, lovingly serving the Lord, people will just join you and get excited and not worry about a little perspiration for the kingdom of God. Getting back to Joseph, the issue of the storing of the food or the grain is quite significant in that it couldn't be numbered or, or even weighed. It, it, it was in superabundance not only for its home population, but for the neighboring countries during the years of famine. The accounting process Joseph used was wise and it was right. You know, it is known that, that Pharaoh required 10% as a, as a normal tax to all of the people, but as we've learned already, Joseph, because of his understanding of the famine, through the divine wisdom given to him by the Lord, he exacted the extra 10%. That was wisdom. Because of the need that was yet to come. When it says that there were seven years of famine, that was seven bad years of nothing growing. No food provided within the second seven years. So, this tells us that the Lord truly knows our needs even before we ask to have those needs met. The Lord always knows what those needs are. Are we taking our needs to Him even though He already knows them? Because He also knows how much we need when we need it. And so we press on now because we want to look a little bit at the personal life of Joseph. It tells us in verse 50, To Joseph were born two sons, before the years of famine came, whom Azanath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore to him. That was his wife. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. Now, the name Manasseh means forgetting. And the application is seen in what Joseph says about forgetting. He can now forget what is behind him, all the toil, all of... What the struggles of his father's house. And in verse 52, it says that the name of the second son he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And Ephraim means fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. So in the midst of this report of Joseph's leadership and stewardship, we have this note about his family. And this is quite instructive in that it shows the, 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 the importance of the home here. Joseph is not discounting his own family when it comes to what was yet to happen, which is, of course, the famine. But I think it's very descriptive that he would name his two sons forgetting what is behind and being fruitful today and for what is yet to come a fruitful life it should be a reminder to us of the importance of the home and the importance of your children because if the home is neglected the nation will be destroyed regardless of how much food is available. I think that applies a lot to our own nation today. If our homes are being neglected, if our children are being neglected, 
the nation will be destroyed. As I said, the report of Joseph's family concerns his two sons. Manasseh forgetting But that son, Manasseh, has something to say to us about forgetting. While the context here tells us that Joseph is forgetting, of course, all of the struggles and the troubles and trials that he had in his life, being that we're coming to the table of communion today, Jesus said of the bread and the cup of the communion feast, he said, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, don't forget this. Don't forget this. Sometimes we are so intent on forgetting the bad that we at many times forget what is good. We might forget all the good things that God wants us to remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Are we forgetting that? Are we forgetting what the bread and the cup will represent for us today? The body and the blood of Jesus Christ, the body that was broken for us, the body that took upon itself our sins, the cup which represents the blood of Jesus, the blood that was shed for the forgiveness and remission of our sins. Are we forgetting that? The Holy Spirit says to us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your, your bodies a living sacrifice. This is Romans chapter 12. I'm not putting it up here because you should know this already. Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is saying, by the mercies of God, present yourselves as living sacrifices. Are we forgetting that? Are we forgetting that as, as, as a part of our daily Christian life? We're told to be filled with the Spirit. Are we forgetting that? We are to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Are we forgetting that? We are commanded to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not be ashamed. Are we forgetting that? We are told that we are to pray without ceasing. Are we forgetting those things? I mean, the list could go on and on. So forgetting is something that we need to take into account before we come to the table of communion. We do want to forget all of the toil and the troubles of our lives. But let's never forget those things at the expense of forgetting the good things that we are called to do and the things that we are called to be. Secondly, Ephraim, the, the, the name of the second son, or Ephraim, it means fruitfulness. He has something to say to us as well. Because you see, we're told by Jesus in the Scriptures, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. We as believers in Jesus Christ can glorify the Father in heaven because we bear much fruit. Are we being fruitful in our Christian walk? Are we being fruitful in our Christian life? In Romans chapter 7 verse 4, Paul says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. That is a purpose that we are given, to bear fruit unto God. Many more verses of Scripture deal with that, but that's a good one. 
We are to be married to Him who was raised from the dead. We know who that is, Jesus. Together as the church, we are to be married to Him that we should bear fruit to God. Are we being fruitful? Most of you are familiar with this passage of Scripture. Galatians 5, verses 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Are we forgetting to be filled with this Spirit and to live according to the fruit of this Spirit? We're told in the next verse, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. To a certain extent, Paul is telling us what might be keeping us from being fruitful, and that is, we haven't crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It might be time to do that. If we want to be fruitful to God. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It isn't just a matter of having the Spirit of God in us. We need to walk, live, act out everything in our lives according to the Spirit of God, which is the fruit of the Spirit of God being lived out in us. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Some of us, I hate to say it, sometimes we do that. We provoke others. We sometimes act conceited. Sometimes we envy what others might have. Listen. All of these things block us from being fruitful to God. So getting back to Joseph again. I'm mentioning these things, folks, because I know that in just a moment we're going to come to the table of communion. It is the time that we place ourselves before the mirror of God's Word. And the purpose of this time is for us to say, Lord, here's my life. These are my shortcomings, these are my failures, these are my falterings, but I know one thing, they have been taken care of at the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's leave those things here today. So getting back to Joseph, we've got to finish this chapter. Once again, we see how the wisdom that God gave to Joseph actually bears fruit. We're talking about fruit? Look at this. Verse 53, Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended. You know, we can take this one verse and say, Oh my goodness, this is bad. It's only bad if we don't read on. Because if Joseph is doing what God has called him to do, and has done in those first seven years what God has called him to do, the next seven years will be taken care of. Look, It says the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, he said this is what's going to happen. That's what we have to prepare in these seven years of plenty. He says the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. Listen, there was a famine, yet there was bread. Because of proper planning, because of going to God and listening to God and doing what God said. Obedience, you see. There was bread. And I can tell you this, that in our country today... There is a famine developing if it isn't already full-blown, but there is a famine for the hearing of the Word of God. Just look at the, God, the, the, the prophecy of Amos from where that comes. It says we are living in a time of a famine of the hearing of the Word of God, but there is bread. We have it. 
We have the bread of life. We have Jesus Himself and we have the bread of the Word of God. And that is what we must stand upon and that is what we must continue to give to others who are living in the midst of this famine. So it's a good thing, isn't it? There's bread. And so when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says, you do. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Are you hungering? Are you thirsting for righteousness? Then go to Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold uh, to the Egyptians. You might think, you mean he sold them their own grain? The price was already paid. The price was already paid. Such a beautiful picture. There's a prophecy that tells us, go, buy milk, buy bread, without price. But you have to go. You have to come. You have to take. You have to buy. But the price has been paid. How how, how reflective that is here. They sold to the Egyptians and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries, because Egypt was the major empire ruling that day, all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. And you know what that includes? (laughs) That includes the very family for which all of this is being done. What might affect the whole world is being done for this one family. Why? Because in the family of Jacob, there is the line that takes us back to Genesis chapter 3, where the promise of Messiah was given, the seed of the woman, that was to come through the line of Judah, a brother of Joseph. If this whole family is wiped out, there's no Messiah. Think about that. All of this affects the whole world. But it's all for this one line. As you read this account, you can see the sovereign hand of God, the providential hand of God working. The years of plenty had ended. The seven years of famine had begun. And it was bad. When the normal supply of food had run out because of what Joseph had done, food was available for the people of Egypt, for the surrounding nations as well. And along with those visitors comes a family, as we'll see next time. The family of Jacob. And as I said, for all intents and purposes, all of what has taken place to this point, while helpful to the many in the known world, 
It had all been orchestrated by the hand of the living God on behalf of Israel's behalf, or on behalf of Israel for their preservation, for salvation, and for the salvation of all men. As we come to the table of communion this morning, I'm going to ask my servers to come up. As they're coming up, I'm going to let them come up first. We're going to read this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. I want to tie all of this together with what we've learned so far in this passage of Scripture at the end of Genesis 41. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, as, as you have always obeyed, as, not as in my presence only, but, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I think you all would, would, uh, would understand the, the phrase work out. I mean, some of you go to the gym, right? When you go to the gym, what do you do? You work out. And, and, and you know, it's really interesting, but in the Greek, it, it, all, it all translates the same way. To work out means to exercise. And we're told that we need to exercise our own salvation with fear and trembling. Fearing the Lord. Trembling, because this is a very serious issue. But, the good thing is, that in verse 13 it says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. And that reminds us, you see, of the hand of God with us all the way, just as the hand of God was with Joseph, even through his trials and through his troubles and through his struggles. Never think that when you go through a struggle or a trial in your life that God has disappeared. He's there with you. He said, I'm going to be with you. Never separate. Never think that trials are meant to separate you from God. No, they're actually meant to bring you closer to Him. Because He says, I'm with you. And then he said this, and this is for all these guys too that are walking here in front of me. Do all things without complaining and disputing. It's not about them, it's about all of us, you see. Because there's a major problem in the church today. We've got people who like to complain. People like to dispute about things. And I'll tell you this. That keeps us from remembering what Christ has done, and it keeps us from being fruitful for what God wants us to do for Him. So let's stop it. Let's stop complaining. Let's do more praying than complaining. Let's do more serving than disputing. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Let's never forget what Christ has done for us. And let's never stop being fruitful for the kingdom of God. Let this cup and bread that is being passed out to you, and please hold on to it so we can partake of it together. Let this bread and this cup remind us of God's provision for you. Everything you need he will give you. Everything you need, in the measure that you need it, He will give you. Trust Him in these things.